0: Have you ever wanted to connect with someone, but you stopped yourself? Excuses to connect is a podcast about actively creating the conditions that make meaningful connections easier. In other words, you can make excuses to connect. Join me, Richard Lee Tai, as I have conversations with experts, friends and strangers on their struggles and successes when it comes to human connections. As a listener, I hope that you can take these insights and find excuses to connect with more people. After all, You never know how any connection can transform your life. Welcome to episode 23 of the Excuses to Connect podcast. It's January, but today I have a guest named September Plumber on my show. I met her through the Dynamically Speaking Toastmasters Club, which she sees as a great middle ground of having activities for both task-oriented and relationship-oriented people. What does she mean by this? Well, a few years ago, she read about how people are either lean towards being task-oriented, which means you're great at getting things done but struggle in relationships, or you're relationship-oriented, which means that you're great at connecting with people but don't get as much done. In this episode, we explore this dynamic as well as her project to write down 4,500 things she's grateful for. This is task-oriented and relationship-oriented people with September Plummer. Well, hello September. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Richard. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So, we've had a previous conversation before about the difference between task oriented and relationship oriented people. So, I'm wondering if you could just tell listeners about that difference and how it shows up in your life. Sure.
1: I read years ago that people lean towards being either relationship oriented or task oriented. And so, if you're task oriented, you are great at getting stuff done. But you probably worry that your relationships are struggling. Hmm. And if you're relationship-oriented, you do really well in relationships. You're great at connecting. You don't struggle with finding excuses to connect. Mm-hmm. But maybe you feel like you're not getting as much done as you should. And right. I am very task-oriented. So I've spent a good amount of time worrying about my relationships and really just wondering what I can do to strengthen them because that is not my natural bent.
0: hmm I, I think this concept makes sense because I mean, for me, I'm relationship oriented, but I struggle to get things done, like to set things into to-do lists and act to like uh, make sure things are being accomplished. So I, I'm curious then, like how do you think task oriented people can become more relationship oriented or vice versa? I
1: don't think that I can help a relationship-oriented person become more task-oriented. But for okay. me, as someone who is task-oriented, I'll tell you two things that worked really well for me. Mm-hmm. The first one of those things I stumbled on accidentally. I was reading John Gottman's book called The Relationship Cure, which I highly recommended. recommend. And what he suggested is he was studying couples and trying to decide what's the difference between the long-time happy couples and the less happy couples. And he noticed something that he called bids. And so a bid is like if you imagine a ball being tossed from one person to the other. And a bid is just any attempt that you make to connect with somebody. So you might send them a text or invite them to make plans or smile at them when you're passing them, reach out for a hug, etc. It could show up with your children if they're pulling on your sleeve, wanting you to come read them a book. And he said, when someone is tossing a ball to you, there's only three ways that you can respond. And that's important because how you respond is sending them a subconscious message about how you feel about them. And so the first way that you can respond is to catch the ball and toss it back. And so that is called turning towards. And that's a very pleasant interaction. You basically are engaging with them. And what's important there is that the message you're sending is, I value you. I like having you in my space. I have time for you. And that arguably is the message we want to send to the people in our lives, whether it's our children, our partners, our siblings, our coworkers, even. And the second way that you can respond to someone tossing you a ball is you can just let it drop. And that's called turning away. And that usually happens because either we have missed the bid happening or we're sick, we're tired, we're distracted with somebody else, something else. Mm -hmm. And the message we're sending is I'm not interested. And you can imagine that if you're trying to play ball with someone and you're tossing them the ball and they're continually letting it drop, you're probably going to stop tossing them the ball at some point. Right. And then the third reaction is an aggressive reaction. And that's when you turn away. So or turn against you catch the ball, you whip it back in their face because you're wanting to send the message. Leave me alone. I don't want to interact with you. I don't like you. And of course, that's not going to last in your relationships. That's a, you know, kind of a more toxic situation you're getting into or times of conflict. Mm-hmm. And so I read that book and I just was like, oh my goodness, it gave me a much simpler way to view interactions with other people. So when I'm being task-oriented and I'm hunched down trying to get a project done and a coworker walks into my office to remind me that when they toss me the ball and try and connect, then I need to stop, receive the ball, toss it back. Right. And for some reason, having that visual just really simplified human interaction for me. So Mm -hmm. that was a game changer. I've shared it with so many people. And I actually used to keep a ball like a tennis ball at my desk because the visual of tossing a ball is so helpful. Mm -hmm. And I spent a decade working with truck drivers who, by definition, are away from home. And many of them struggle with connection just because they're away from their partners and their families. And I often would share this analogy with them. So hats off to John Gottman. It really changed my life.
0: No, I think that's an awesome visual for people to keep in mind in their interactions, because there are all those bids happening all the time. And if we're not paying attention that we can miss it, all these opportunities to deepen or create new relationships. So I know one other thing as well, we're both part of Toastmasters, that's how we know each other. And you've told me that Toastmasters is sort of a good in-betweener middle ground between task-oriented and relation-oriented. So I'm um, wonder if you could speak about that.
1: Sure. So when you join Toastmasters, the goal is to get better at public speaking. Mm-hmm. And you do that in two different ways. You attend meetings where you take on roles and you speak up, whether you're sharing speeches or or you're being called on to do impromptu table topics, which is impromptu speaking, or you're also working on a pathway, which is an individualized path where you choose materials that resonate with you and you work through a series of different assignments to complete each level. And so if you're task oriented, you're really gonna do great with the pathway model. And if you're relationship oriented, you're likely going to do well with the meeting model because you're interacting with other people. Mm -hmm. And so something I love about Toastmasters is that it's a place where whether you are task-oriented or relationship-oriented, you have the opportunity to do the things that suits you the best while also getting to practice the thing that you know you need to do better at. And so I'm thriving in my pathway, but I'm also getting regular opportunity through the meeting to work on being more relationship-oriented, which I
0: really appreciate. Mm -hmm. I know one other thing you're working on right now is you're, you're taking your MBA, And of course, in a work environment, this dynamic between task-oriented and relationship-oriented people shows up. So uh, tell me what you're learning uh, about like task-oriented and relationship-oriented people through taking your MBA.
1: So I'm doing my MBA through Athabasca, which means Mm -hmm. that it's an online MBA because I'm in a very small town and can't attend in-person classes. Mm -hmm. I just finished taking strategic human resources, which is all about learning how to manage people as though they're your greatest asset and to motivate them effectively. And it's really challenging me because when you're an accountant, you can spend a lot of your career by yourself in a back office, which Mm -hmm. really appeals to me. But the whole idea of true leadership of other people is that you're investing in them, you're coaching them, you're mentoring them. Mm -hmm. And that is going to require you to have some higher level people skills. And so I've been really challenged by all of this material. And in our kind of format for how we learn, we use a lot of discussion boards. So we receive an opening assignment and then throughout the week, the people who are in your cohort have to engage on the discussion board, talking about the different concepts, applying it to their workspace, and then challenging each other and teaching each other things that we've learned over our career. And I have really enjoyed that, but Even just this week, I got in trouble for something that as a task oriented person, I thought I was doing a good job on, which is I was bolding key points in my Mm -hmm. papers so that it was Mm -hmm. very easy for someone to just skip through it and be able to pick up the main points without reading the entire thing. And someone told me he felt like I was yelling at him with my bolding. So that was a place where I got to practice my people skills, give him a genuine apology, and then rework so that at the beginning of the paper, I have an explanation. I'm bolding things to make it easier for you to skim through this if you want. I apologize if this makes it harder to read.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's it. Well, yeah, that sounds like such a minute thing, but you're right. Like you don't know how your written or verbal communication can affect others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm also curious. uh, I know there's a difference between being a manager and being a leader. I'm wondering if you could talk about that as well.
1: We did cover that. And I know that I'm not going to be able to do it justice to me. The difference between a manager and a leader is the leaders, the number one who's setting the strategy and the direction for the organization. And the manager is the number two who's translating it into how do we do this? Mm -hmm. And something I've appreciated about this class specifically is the amount of self-awareness that I have found in it. As I realize I'm not a leader. Well, I'm not a designated leader, But I'm definitely a strong manager. I'll always be a happy number two in the back, writing up the processes, making sure they're getting done, Mm -hmm. checking off all of the, checking all the I's and T's off.
0: I know a few years ago, you started this project of writing down 4,500 things that you were grateful for. So what was the inspiration behind starting that initiative?
1: Gratitude journaling was the second thing that I was going to talk about as something that has helped me be more relationship oriented. And it was purely accidental. I read a lot of nonfiction. And years ago, I had read this book about gratitude journaling, which I will not name because I thought it was a terrible book. But in an effort to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, I decided to get started gratitude journaling. Mm-hmm. My initial goal was to write down a thousand things. And that was important for me because when I read the book, I was in the middle of getting divorced and single parenting. I was working full time going back to school to do my CPA designation. Mm -hmm. And I was very miserable. I think I cried every day for three years, because it just was a lot. And so I got started writing down these things that I was thankful for. And I was literally 800 items in when I had this like huge epiphany, which is that I'm writing down a lot of people's names as part of something I'm thankful for. And mm-hmm. that does not do them any good if they don't know it. I grew up in a home with a German Mennonite mother. We didn't use our words for a lot of affirmations. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how I can nicely say I didn't grow up in a touchy-feely home.
0: Right.
1: And so this was like a language that was foreign to me. So I started just texting people because that felt the least uncomfortable for me. I wrote about you in my gratitude journal today because, you know, X, Y, Z, you brought me flowers today at work. And that meant something to me. Hmm. And then eventually I noticed that it became much easier for me to say those things in person, in real life, but also in the moment. And so gratitude journaling started to change how I talk to other people because I realized that affirmation and gratitude and accomplishment is not a pie. I'm not taking out a piece of it and giving to somebody else at my own expense. It's Mm -hmm. an exponential thing. There's lots of it available for everybody. And so I just started talking differently to people. I was able to say compliments to people when normally I would have been too shy to do it or too embarrassed to do it. And I started to notice a real spillover in my relationships that our lives affect and influence other people. And one mm-hmm. way that I can be intentional about owning my impact on other people is to let the good things inside of me flow out when I see somebody who's doing a great job or, right. you know, who's working in the background, not getting any praise and doing a fantastic job of it. So gratitude journaling very unexpectedly had a lot of benefits for me. It taught me contentment. It changed how I experienced hard things. But it also started to impact my relationships, and I can't say enough good things about it. So I started with a 1,000 as my goal, and I got to a 1,000, and I just really recognized the benefit of it, and I kept going. And -hmm. when I hit 4,500 items, I quit because I felt like, you know, I'd strengthen that muscle, and I was where I needed to be, but... I couldn't deny that it had really changed my life, that I think everybody in the whole world needs to try gratitude journaling. And Mm -hmm. the crazy thing is that from the beginning to the end, my circumstances did not change at all. I was still struggling my way through my CPA designation, working full-time, single parenting, same house, same job, like nothing changed in my life, but my attitude
0: really did. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a very powerful point to make that it's our relationship to ourselves and to external things that really shapes how we feel about it. And I'm curious, so you expressed gratitude and appreciation towards other people. I'm curious if you received that back, like as you started chatting with these people that you also received statements of gratitude for things you've done for them.
1: To be honest, that wasn't something I was very aware of. Hmm. I don't know if it started, you know, a snowball in my life of receiving right. what I was giving.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: never noticed that.
0: Okay. I was just curious because this goes back to what you were bringing up earlier too of Gottman's idea of bids. You're putting out all these bids to people of uh, text, sending them a text message in text message or talking to them in person, about how they've impacted you. So I was just curious, curious if it was reciprocated, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> it may have been. And I yeah. just didn't pick up on it. I think when you are very task oriented, that can lead you to become a competent person in certain areas. Mm. And a lot of times when other people see someone who is very competent, they don't say anything because they think you've got it all under control. Mm. But even the people who are competent love to hear you're doing a great job or some specific piece of positive, encouraging feedback. I think I speak for everyone when I say it is wonderful to be seen.
0: Yeah, I I agree. It's a fundamental thing of our human nature to want to be seen, heard, and valued. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you though. Have you ever gratitude journaled? So it's been very on and off. I mean, I certainly haven't like gone to a thousand items or kept track of that. I used to have an app or I still have an app on my phone where I did do gratitude journaling. And I do find it something that's very, something that lifts me up. Like even if I've had a bad day or challenging circumstances, that I can still find the silver lining in it. And the other thing I found too, so part of my background is I am a Buddhist practitioner and there's a Vietnamese uh, Buddhist teacher. His name is Thich Nhat Han. And one of the things he said is be grateful for the toothache that you don't have, which sounds like a wild statement. <laughs> like <laughs> When you do have a toothache and when the pain finally goes away, you're very grateful. (laughs) But in normal days, like you don't even think of that, like the absence of pain is something to be grateful for as well. So that really expanded my horizons of really there's endless things someone can be grateful for. Um, Not just for, I guess, like, yes, the fundamental basics of, like having food and water and shelter and that and safety and so on but there's many other things to be grateful for as well and i think it keeps me humble
1: mm-hmm.
0: so no thanks for that question i i mean i want to get back into it <laughs> well i'll ask that question then it's like for for listeners and i guess myself included if they want to start this practice of gratitude journaling i guess what's a recommendation or like structure that they could use to keep that up. Sure.
1: Structures are fantastic because if you create a system for something Mm -hmm. and you front loaded with a little bit of thought or money or time, you can make whatever that thing is easier to do repetitively. And the truth about life is it's mostly about things we do repetitively, Mm -hmm. AKA habits. (laughs) And so what worked for me initially was I had, I went and bought a beautiful notebook because that inspires me. I bought a beautiful pen And then at the end of the day, I would sit down and I would just write down, I would aim for between five and 10. And then I noticed one day that it was the middle of the day and something had happened to me at work. And I thought, I'm going to write about this later in my gratitude journal. And I felt like for me, that was the beginning of being present. And that's actually when I started carrying it, my gratitude journal around with me, because Mm -hmm. I was noticing things more in the moment as opposed to at the end of my day. So I do think that it's a muscle that as you strengthen it. What worked initially for the practice isn't going to work later. But I do have to say one thing that I have learned about self-help is that what works for me doesn't work for everybody else. And what works for everybody else isn't necessarily going to work for me. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. There's no shame if gratitude journaling is not your thing. But I know for me at the place I was at in my life, which is when a lot of things were feeling very difficult, it was a ray of sunshine and it was a helping hand to be intentional about my state of mind. So mm-hmm. no harm no foul if this isn't for you.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very wise way to approach it. And it's recognizing where people are at and what what works for one person doesn't automatically mean it works for another person. There was this actually this other practice that I heard about in a podcast recently. It's called the happiness lab and they, I forgot what it was called exactly, but it was a practice of noting things that were delightful. Um, and just, in you're just pointing a finger to things it's like, oh, that's, that's the or that's delightful. And whether it's like, I don't know, a bird chirping or like the clouds look really beautiful or whatever, it's, it's starting to train your mind to notice those things that you might normally just take for granted because there are a lot of delightful things uh to take note of and once your mind is attuned to that then it seems to be everywhere so i think that's in the same similar vein of gratitude journaling as well so i
1: I think there's two ways you can approach it you Mm -hmm. can do it to fine-tune your appreciation of the goodness that's in your life Mm -hmm. and you also can do it to I have an antidote to all the negative things that you're in that are in your life, whether it's your happiness lab approach or my gratitude journaling approach. And for me, one of the big benefits was changing how I experience hard things. Cause the truth is in life, we're going to go through many hard things. Mm -hmm. And the first time that I became aware that it had shifted the way that I experienced hard things was I had a sewer backup in my basement, which is crappy pun intended. Yeah. And I'm sitting down with my gratitude journaling, and I'm writing, I didn't lose anything that really mattered to me. It happened on a holiday-long weekend Sunday, and within Mm -hmm. two hours, my insurance company had a crew here ripping out drywall, setting up fans, spraying disinfectant. I had enough insurance coverage for all of it. I got new carpets in my basement. And like, I was very surprised that something that would have been a real setback for me before mm-hmm. I kind of took in stride. And I was like, Oh, great. New carpets. Oh, great. Whatever. And right. that's very trite. If you're talking to someone who's just gotten, you know, a cancer diagnosis, diagnosis, or who mm-hmm. has lost a loved one. But the truth is in every hard thing we go through, there are small mercies and we mm-hmm. can watch for them. There's the people who show up to help you. There's, you know when you have the funds in place or the time or the healthcare system that will take care of you or the excellent doc or doctors or quick you know referrals the truth is in every terrible situation i do think there's a silver lining and it will change the way that you experience it if you choose what you focus on i remember reading a long time mm-hmm. ago that happiness is 20% about our circumstances and 80% about our attitude and i think gratitude journaling is one of the best ways To address your attitude, whether you just need a little bit of an increase or you need a lot of help. I needed a lot of help and it gave it to me.
0: Right. No, I totally agree. And you used this analogy earlier too that it's like a muscle that you exercise and it strengthens over time when you practice more. So I agree. And it's uh, not, not to talk too much about Buddhism. This is interesting. This is the first podcast episode I've really talked about it. But one of the things it teaches there too is that a fundamental truth about life is that there's suffering. It's just a basic truth there. So knowing that that's the truth, then the focus on like, how do you respond to it? Because things do change. You do um, experience old age, sickness and death and all those aspects. So it's more about how do you respond to it in a way that's appropriate and um, does allow for grace and so on. So. I I like this this ratio, this 80% of your attitude and 20% your circumstances. To step back a bit, I know for people that are wanting to have better connections with themselves or others, you've already recommended some books or practices, but I'm wondering if there's other books you would recommend to listeners. In terms of relationships
1: with other people, you cannot go wrong with anything from John Gottman. That man is a machine. He has a lab and people who help him huge recommend anything by John Gottman. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of your relationship with your, with yourself, I'm on the Brene Brown bandwagon, especially her early works, the gifts of imperfection, some of her early works. Mm -hmm. When I started reading Brene Brown books, I couldn't even say the word shame out loud. That's how much I struggled with it. And when Mm -hmm. you read her books, and she talks about courage and vulnerability and wholeheartedness. And it it fundamentally changed something inside of me. So Brene Brown all the way, if you want to help yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm a big fan of Brene Brown as well. I've read several of her books. I think I started with Daring Greatly and then read Gifts and Imperfection as well. And Dare to Lead. And then I purchased her most recent book, Atlas of the Heart, which is about mapping human connection and the like human language of her experience. So I have not started reading it yet, yet but I'm very excited because my whole mission or what I'm pursuing right now is around meaningful connection. So I'm curious what she has to say about it. And I think that part about shame as well, it's like that the more, I forgot her exact words, but once you talk about shame and you actually expose it, then it's not that scary of a monster anymore. So I, kudos to you, because <laughs> I think it is um, me included that a lot of people experience this shame and feel like that's something that they just need to hold, hold onto themselves. But once you have the courage to be vulnerable and speak speak about it, then it starts, it it becomes more manageable. I found in my experience.
1: Well, and if we circle back to the whole idea that we're here to talk about excuses to connect. Yeah. The truth is, is that that whether it's shame or being task oriented, there's things that are barriers to that. Mm-hmm. And when you do self work, you can improve yourself so that those barriers start to come down, and you're more free to reach out to a stranger interact with them.
0: Yeah. And there, there's one other. There's one quote I do remember from her her books. It, it was Bernie Brown had this quote in her book where it was as simple and as difficult as just believing, changing your belief from I am not enough to I am enough. It sounds very simple, but it's quite difficult to switch from those two mindsets, especially if it's been very ingrained to feel like that you're not enough and you're not worthy. So that's something I keep in mind as well, that all of us are on these journeys to shift shift from those mindsets.
1: That's the main message of marketing, though, is to convince you to adopt a scarcity mindset where stuff or experiences are going to fill you up and take care of that little problem for you. So we're conditioned Mm -hmm. for that.
0: Yeah. Because if you truly believe that you are enough and have enough as is, then you're not as influenced by or looking for external validation because you already feel it internally. So Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. That makes me
1: want to talk about decluttering, which is my third favorite subject in the world.
0: Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Because
1: I went through this phase in my life where I looked around and I saw a house that was bursting with all the things that I had bought thinking that would make me feel like I was enough and I had enough and I was Mm -hmm. doing okay, especially after my divorce, because I was Mm -hmm. very young when I got divorced and I had a lot of shame over that Mm -hmm. when I compared where I was to where my peers were. And so... I was just feeling like my life was out of control and everything was exploding with stuff. And decluttering became one way that I could, one, take control and have some control over part of my life. But two, I could curate a home that really reflected who I was and that recognized that outer order creates inner calm. That's a Gretchen Rubin quote, but -hmm. that our physical surroundings really impact our state of mind. And so decluttering was also life-changing for me I think I read 20 books one year on hoarding and organizing and decluttering and minimalism I just worked my way through all that material and I'm and I'm by no means a minimalist but I do think that everything that's happening inside of us connects to our ability to do relationship well to connect with other people and when we're healthy on the inside we connect differently but we also live differently and for me part of the expression of how I lived was clutter in my home. Not for everyone,
0: but it was for me. Yeah. Listeners can't see this right now, but in September's background, she has very organized bookshelves. (laughs) So I think it just illustrates what you're talking about.
1: Books are the one thing that I don't call clutter and so I don't put limitations on. But the rest of my house, I'm I'm pretty crazy about minimalism and having less and not feeling overwhelmed. In my home I don't like bright colors. I find that lots of packaging, I feel like I'm getting yelled at. Yeah. So I'm very intentional about curating quiet spaces where I can just mentally rest. But my mm-hmm. bookshelves, all bets are off. If I want to read it, I buy it. No guilt involved. That yeah. was a Ramit Sethi Coke, um permission. He said he gives himself permission if he sees a book that he thinks he can learn something from. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care the price. He just buys it. And I listened to that and I thought, I'm going to stop feeling guilty because I'm spending on the new Brené Brown book, because I know that I'm going to read it. I'm going to apply it to my life. And I'm probably going to be able to share it with somebody. Yeah, I love to read.
0: I think out of all the different types of purchases you could make, books are a good investment because it helps with your personal development.
1: If you read them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if you read them and internalize uh, and apply what they have to say. So for- Go ahead. I
1: actually brought a small stack of books because my favorite thing on a podcast is when the podcaster asks the guest yeah. if they have favorite books to recommend. So I thought I would just get in front of that. I'm a bossy know-it-all. So I took care of that for
0: yeah, you. Yeah. So what are your what are your book recommendations?
1: These are just a couple favorites. So Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry put out a book this year that's called What Happened to You? Conversations mm-hmm. on Trauma, Resilience and Healing. Mm. I love reading a book that gives me language for something. And mm-hmm. this is a beautiful, timely book. The next one that's a favorite is Johan Hari's. It's called Lost Connections, and it's uncovering the real causes of depression. Mm. So he has this theory that there's kind of nine contributors to depression and that, that each one of them you want to manage differently depending on which one which ones apply to you. So that book was stellar. Anything by Johan Hari, I hugely recommend And then I read a lot of MBA type stuff. Anyways, I love reading books about management and leadership. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And so this year I read Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0 by Jim Collins. And so Mm -hmm. Jim Collins is the guy that wrote the good to great books and he's Mm -hmm. just Next level. I mean, if you have a business and you want to instill greatness in it from day one, I highly recommend him. So there's three book recommendations on kind of like different areas for your listeners who like me are nerdy nerds.
0: No, no, that's good. Because by the time this episode comes out, it'll be in the new year. So it'll be good for people that are wanting to pick up a book reading habit um, Mm -hmm. to have some high quality books to read for their 2022. So I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, So along those lines, if listeners wanted to get in touch with you um, to chat about task-oriented, relationship-oriented, about MBA, about books, about anything, where would you want to direct them to get in touch with you?
1: This year I joined LinkedIn, so you can look me up on LinkedIn if you want, or you can shoot me an email at september.plumber at gmail.com. Plumber is P-L-U-M-E-R.
0: Okay, awesome. And I'll make sure to include those in the description of the podcast so people have links as well. So do you have a final message or takeaway you'd like to say to listeners?
1: Sure. Tim Ferriss is one of my favorite podcasters and he'll often ask people if they had a billboard that they could put any message on for Mm -hmm. the whole world to see what would they put on it. And this is what my billboard would say our lives affect and influence the people who are around us and we can conduct ourselves with that in mind. So if you think of the person you know who is the kindest, who's the most helpful, who's the most encouraging, we can be those people to everyone in our lives with a little bit of intentionality and just the desire to do that. So remember, you make a difference no matter how
0: big or how small your circle is. Wonderful. That's a great message to end off on and in, in the spirit of gratitude, I'm very grateful that you're on this podcast, sharing all your knowledge and insights and being open and vulnerable, because I think what you've described, there there are other task-oriented and relationship-oriented people in the world that could benefit from what you, you have shared today. So I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Remember to check out the show notes of the episode where you can find a link to my website, excuses2connect.com. There, you can find out the other initiatives that I'm working on. The intro and outro music were written by Megan Rennie. You can check out her Instagram and SoundCloud in the show notes. There are also links to leave a voice message, as I'd love to hear from listeners. You can leave a comment or ask a question that might be featured in a future episode. Lastly, there's a link to buy me a coffee. This is a website that supports content creators, where you can donate some money on a one-time or monthly basis. If you love what I'm doing and want to support, you can buy me metaphorical coffee. Finding excuses to connect is what I love to do, what I'm good at, and what I think the world needs more of. Consider sharing this podcast with anyone who might benefit from it. I hope you have a wonderful day and make some new connections. After all, you never know how any connection can transform your life.